Uh, I want to talk about this morning, we're continuing in the life of Joseph, and I, I want to talk to you about a day that is real for all of us. We have multiple seasons and multiple days where this is true. This is going to be out of Genesis 45 this morning, this first part. Uh, this is the day where everything that you went through kind of makes sense, and you get some clarity about stuff. Uh, when I was in, in, in eighth grade, I, I lived in Clover, South Carolina, and Clover uh, was a huge football town. There wasn't anything else going on. That was all there was, was football. Uh, and and the, they hired a conditioning coach for the high school, and they were so serious about um, equipping and conditioning the high schoolers that they sent a system and a program down to the middle school uh, to put us through even in eighth grade. Um, and, and I remember having this talk and I remember this new system thing and I remember them having to get, an, uh, to get all the parents to sign uh, an extra 45 minutes of practice. And what they really meant was an extra 45 minutes of hell on earth is what they really should have said. Um, because the, the condition, they, they hired this guy, he's had all these degrees, he's this conditioning coach, and he really had one program, one, one plan, that was it. At the end of practice, we would come up on full gear, we would stand the first day, we stood at the, the goal line, we lined up in fives, like, you know, a row of five, row of five, all the way down the line, and we sprinted 10 yards as fast as we could move. And then the next guy, the next guy said four or five guys, so you had maybe 30, 40 seconds of rest, and you turn, you'd sprint back 10 yards, and you turn, you sprint back 10 yards. For 20 minutes, we did that. It was miserable. Uh, the next day, we did 10 yards for 10 minutes, and then 20 yards for 10 minutes. And the next day, and it progressed, and it progressed. And for six weeks, we did this. Five days a week, we did this every day to the point that, that by the end, we were running. We started with 10 yards, and then with 20, and then 30, 40, 50. And then every practice for 30 minutes, we were running all the way to a sprinting 100 yards. And if he thought for one second that even one person wasn't pushing with every fiber of their being, the entire team would have to do what he called a bear crawl complex, which was absolute child abuse. You just had to stand down at the goal line and bear crawl all the lines until he was satisfied that you were almost dead. And then we could go home. Uh, but we did this and it was miserable. I mean, I, I love working out. I love playing sports, but I remember that it was just miserable. No one looked forward to it all day long. We sat and we were just like, I think I'm going to fake sick. I just can't do this. Like, I'm like, this is miserable. And, and it was, it was truly, it was truly miserable. But the, it was about the, the first game we kind of got it, but it was the second game when it clicked, like when we, when we walked down the field and they started running no huddle uh, offense and we absolutely were dominating every single person, every single play because we were in far superior shape and it clicked. The goal was for us to be able to play at 100% in the fourth quarter. We, we realized that 10 minutes into the first or second game that, that why we went through everything that we went through. And it encouraged us and it gave us confidence and it changed our perspective on, on everything and nobody was trying to plan his assassination anymore. And it was, it just, and it all worked. And we we, we had one of the, it was, if, if I might say so myself, the best eighth grade season in human history. That's just what I want to throw out there because you guys don't know any better. Uh, any, any other high school athletes in, in the house? Isn't it true? The farther you get away, the better you get at sports. Like I was pretty good in high school, but now that I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties, I was great in high school and there's nobody to say otherwise. I just, the, the more I remember it, the better I get. It's the craziest thing that happens. But but it was that day when it finally just clicked and you kind of look back on all the misery and all the things that you went through 
and it makes sense and there's clarity and you, you have peace about it and there's encouragement and those are good days. And then we all have days like that in our relationship with God. We all have days like that. We, we, we go through situations, we go through circumstances, we go through seasons uh, and, and we, we, they don't make sense. We have difficulty and sometimes we're just asking why. Uh, we lose a job for no reason and it sends our world into uh, just this dark abyss for a while and then it just doesn't make sense. But, but with God, it, sometimes it's days, sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's years. And I, I, I was honest from the stage a few weeks ago about a situation in my own life that took 20 years to resolve. Um, and, and, and so that sometimes there, it's a quarter of a lifetime, half a lifetime. But there are these days in different seasons and different difficulties when we get to this moment and we look back and we see the goodness of God and we see uh, the way that God used it in our lives and things start to make sense and we kind of see the purpose in it and we, we see the why behind it. And these are good days. These are good days. And Joseph had one of these days in Genesis 45, four through eight. And, and, and I, I want to read this to you really fast. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, now just to remind you, just in case you, you forgot, uh, Joseph was the youngest of his, uh, the second to youngest of his father's house, uh, and he was deeply loved by his father, but his brothers deeply hated him, and to the point that one day they wanted to kill Joseph, and if it wasn't for the, the, the struggle of one brother, they would have killed him right then and there, but he, he got him into a pit uh, for a series of days, and while they were trying to figure out what to do, some slave traders came along, and they sold Joseph into slavery. They just absolutely uh, were treacherous to their brother and treated him very wickedly, and, and Joseph was taken. Uh, to Egypt, and he lost uh, his family. He lost his father. He lost his mother. He lost his childhood. <clears throat> and and Joseph was sold into slavery. And he winds up uh, being sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard uh, for Egypt. Uh, and and uh, this man is probably in the top 10 most powerful men in Egypt. He kind of starts off on the bottom, but he starts to be faithful, and he has some energy and drive, and he's faithful there, and God blesses him, and eventually he rules all of Potiphar's house. Uh, but then after uh, he got cougared by Potiphar's wife uh, for a series of weeks, uh, Joseph of... <laughs> I thought that was super funny. <laughs> Joseph uh, said, you know, Potiphar's been so good to me. He's, he's given me everything in his house except for you because he's your wife. I'm not going to betray him, and I'm not going to sin against God in that way. And she was uh, upset by this and basically lied about Joseph, said that he tried to rape her. Potiphar being obviously angry, he knew Joseph did not do this because if he, he truly believed that Joseph tried to rape his wife, he simply would have had him executed. He was in the full rights and power of the law. I, that's why I firmly believe Potiphar did not believe this. And, and because of the prison that Potiphar chose to put him in, it was Pharaoh's prison. It was the political prison. It was the cushy prison. Uh, and, and, but it was still prison. And Joseph had to go into this prison where he served for years. And eventually God uh, blessed him and he had hope in this prison and he worked his way up. And eventually he ran the whole prison and he was faithful even there. And then eventually uh, Pharaoh has these two dreams uh, and Joseph is brought out to interpret these dreams and his whole world changes. And it's in that moment that things start to make sense. And so this is what, when, when, when years and years and years go by, 
there's this famine that, that comes into the land, and if jo- God gave Joseph the wisdom to, to survive and, and to protect Egypt and all of the surrounding nations uh, by storing all of this food for seven years to be able to have food during the seven years of famine that would have killed everybody. And so when, when God works this out in the life of Pharaoh, and the life of Joseph, Joseph's promoted up. It was only in this moment that Joseph get it. And this is what he says about this. Years and years and years later, when his brothers come and he reveals himself to his brothers, this is Joseph having that day where everything makes sense. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me, God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's Genesis 45, 4 through 8. So at this point, he was sold into slavery when he was 17, and he was put into the the leadership position and basically became equal with Pharaoh at the age of 30. And at this point, when he's 30 years old, uh, he's, he's seven years into, this, into the abundance, so he's close to 40 by now, when he truly begins to get it and understand everything that he went through. And he had been so changed and so conformed to the purpose of God and so aligned with the purpose of God that now he's staring his brothers who betrayed him and hated him and treated him wickedly, wanted to kill him and sold him into slavery. And now the way he views the story is he's saying to them, it wasn't you, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. It was God who actually sent me ahead of you because God knew that this family Famine was coming, and if God had not positioned me here and put me in this place, then all of the promises uh, that God made to Abraham and to our grandfather Isaac and to our father Jacob and even to us would have never came. God was keeping his word by sustaining us and saving our lives and opening up the door for us to survive and thrive here in Egypt during this famine. He said, you meant it for evil, you meant it for wicked, but now I look back on it and I see the purpose, and it's beautiful and God sent me ahead of you to save all of our lives and Egypt and all of the surrounding nations. Because if Joseph had not been there, everyone would have suffered and almost everyone would have been wiped out by the famine. Now that's a good day when you can look back and see the hand of God. Amen? That's a good day. But now I just want to take a second to be for real. Because though this was a good day, From 17 to 30, Joseph had no idea what was happening and what was going on. He was sold into slavery at 17, put into a pit for a period of days. In the season, he had no idea what was happening. It was just bad. There was no good. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was no why. What sustained Joseph during that season of his life? What sustained him uh, when you walk through a difficulty that makes no sense, there is no good, you've done nothing wrong, is the world's just flipped upside down and you're searching, searching, searching for why and there is no why. What sustains you in that season? What sustained Joseph in that season? 
when he was eventually sold as a slave to Potiphar, and now he, he, he left his home. This home was taken from him. His father was taken from him. His mother was taken from him. He was deeply loved. He had a robe of many colors. He would lived like a prince, and now, uh, to no fault of his own, now he's, he's, in a, he's a servant and a slave at the bottom of the totem pole inside of an Egyptian captain of the guard uh, in, in, in this house. What energized him in that moment? What, what made him wake up every day uh, with... With, with energy and with focus and with drive to be faithful and to work hard and, and to, to do such a good job that God blesses him to the point that Potiphar puts him in charge of everything. It said the only thing that Potiphar worried about was what he wanted to eat that day. Joseph handled everything else. So when life starts over and you find yourself in a place you never thought you'd find yourself in, you find yourself in a job you never thought you'd find, you find yourself without a job, you find yourself going, you never wanted to go through a divorce, that was never the game plan. I don't think anybody stands there on that day going, the next four years are going to be fun, and then the four after that are going to be a living hell, but let's go for it. Well, you, well, you find yourself in that place. You find yourself in a place that you had, you had no idea you would be. You never wanted to go. What, what gives you energy in that moment and drive in that moment and faithfulness even in those moments to still work hard, to still get out of bed, and to still go and to still chase life and still be faithful to God? And then after you're energized and after you're faithful, then you, you, you do not, nothing wrong, but you, you're righteous. Joseph was righteous and withstood Potiphar's wife, and eventually now he's thrown in prison. He starts all the way over. He rises back to the top, and now he finds himself in prison. But Joseph still had hope, even in prison, and in a situation, a circumstance that would annihilate most of us. He still had hope. He was sustained in the pit. He had energy in Potiphar's house, and he had hope in the prison. What sustained him? What energized him and what gave him hope? Because he did not know the why. He did not know the why. He did not know the why till Genesis 45. He did not know the why. The earliest he could have known the why was right after the dreams of Pharaoh at the age of 30 years old. So for at a minimum from 17 to 30, 13 years, he went through what you and I would just call life. And there wasn't a why. So when there wasn't a why, what sustained him? When there wasn't a why, what energized him? When there wasn't a why, what gave him hope? Joseph did not need to know the why because Joseph knew the who. Joseph knew the promises of God. Joseph knew the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of his father Jacob. God knew the promises uh, that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, uh, Jacob knew the promises. I mean, Joseph knew the promises that God had even made to himself through the dreams as a kid. Joseph knew the goodness of God. Joseph knew the, the character of God and the attributes of God. And he knew, like we talked about last week, he knew the love of God. Uh, Joseph knew the promises of God. He knew who God was. He knew it and he believed it. He didn't just know them. He didn't just learn them. He didn't just have a head knowledge of them, a head knowledge of the attributes of God, the character of God, the love of God. He knew it. He believed it with every fiber of his being. And in the worst of the worst, moments, he leaned on the promises of God. 
But we can never lean on promises we don't believe in, and we can never believe in promises that we don't know. This is why we have to have a daily, deep-seated, genuine, real relationship with the Word of God. This is not just a book of history. This is not just a, a, a book of wisdom even. This is not just a book of random knowledge. This is a book that God himself wrote from beginning to end that lays out the resolve plan of God. God looks outside the perspective of time, and he lays out everything that's going to happen, and he makes promises from as early as Genesis one where he says there will come a time uh, when the snake and the enemy will bite your ankle but you will crash his head already prophesying that he had a plan to bring about Jesus Christ he gave promise after promise after promise through the Old Testament about the blessing and the salvation that the Messiah would bring and then when the Jesus came Jesus gave us promise after promise he revealed the Father to us he revealed the character of God to us he revealed the attributes of God to us he revealed the goodness of God to us and Jesus made promises about our own life. He promised that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us. He promised in Hebrews that every single difficult situation we go through in life, that he would use it like it was discipline in our life to conform us, uh, to transform us, to give us wisdom and knowledge and to bless us, that he would work through all things for the good of those who love him. This Bible is one promise of God after another, after another, after another, after another. And the secret uh, for Joseph when it came to being sustained in the pit and having energy in Potiphar's house and having hope in the prison is that he knew the promises of God, he believed the promises of God, and he learned to lean on those promises. You do not have to know the why in any season when you know the who. One of the strongest uh, weaknesses of the American church is that we do not know the God that we say we serve. We do not know the nature and the character and the goodness of God. And so when life, and can I get an amen that life almost never goes the way we want it to go or we thought it would go? And when those seasons change and when we walk through things and then we, 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 we mess up, we sin, we throw our life away. Even so many people, I, I see them giving up uh, because there's some great sin entered their life and they're like, I've, I've thrown it all away. I've wasted my life. I've sinned against God. He's walked away from me. He's cast me out. He's let me down. I'm like, you went to church your whole life, but you still do not know the God who created you and saved you. You do not know his love. You do not know his goodness. That, that the greatest thing that separated us from God was sin and Jesus took care of that on the cross. Everything that would ever cast you out of the love of God has been defeated and thrown away. God loves you. He will never let you go. He will never forsake you. He's got you. You just got to know that, believe that, and learn to lean into that through the course of this life. It wasn't just head knowledge. Joseph knew it, and he believed it, and he leaned into it. That's why when he was in the pit, he was sustained. And that's why when he was in Potiphar's house, he had faith. He said, I don't know why this is happening, and I don't know what God is doing, but I know my God, and I know that God always has a purpose, and I know that he's good, and I know that he's powerful, and if I'm in Potiphar's house, I'm going to be faithful to God. If I'm at a job I never thought I'd be, I'm going to be faithful to God. If I find myself in conflict, I'm going to be faithful to God. If I find myself, all my friends betrayed me and ran off on me, I'm going to be faithful to God. Whatever situation, whatever circumstance, I'm going to be faithful to God. I don't have to know why because I know who. 
And I know that there's a lot of people that, that hate this. I'm one of them, but it's just the truth you have to accept. Most of the time, there will always be Genesis 45 days when you look back and you see it and there's clarity and you see the goodness of God, even in evil things, even in wicked things, even in your own sins, how good God was to you, even in your own struggles. There'll always be Genesis 45 days, but most days aren't Genesis 45 days. Most days, we won't know the why. That's why it's so important that we have to know the who. And if we know the who, then we won't miss the purpose of God in each season of our life because there is a purpose of God. And there is a risk that we will miss the purpose of God in some of these seasons. It's clear for Joseph. It's absolutely 100% clear for Joseph why he had to go through. Because, you know, the thought process could be, well, if God just needed Joseph to be there at that time period in order to save uh, the world and, and save them from the famine to be there, then why did God send him through the pit and through Potiphar and through this? Well, if you really look at it, uh, God cares more about our character uh, than, he, uh, than we care to understand. It's the same way like when you're raising children, for, for those of you that have kids, like it's, if I just said to you, like, is, is your only expectation for your child that he lives to be 30? No. Some of you are like, no, because he's still 30. He's still in my basement. I want him out right now. No, you want, you want your sons and daughters, you want them to be raised up with character. You want them to be wise. You want them to be good. You, know, you want them to do this. You want to teach them. You want to lay it out. We don't just want them to be alive. God loves us far more than we will ever love our own children. God loves us more than that. And God also had to align Joseph's heart with the purpose of God. Because I'm telling you something. If I was Joseph and my brothers did what they did to him and I got into a position of power and God didn't conform my character to Christ, God didn't conform my character to God, the first time I had a chance to use some of that Pharaoh power, I'd make my father's sons gone. I'd be like, Dad, you're going to come live with me? You guys, these are lions. Jump. The thing is, is that, 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 that all he had ever done, all Joseph had ever done was work with sheep. He was a shepherd. He was the youngest of the family. That was a tradition. That was the way it was. That, that, the, the shepherd, the sheep was the worst job imaginable. That's why the baby brother always got it. That's all he knew how to do. So God had to, had to, and he was kind of an arrogant little punk. Let's just be honest. If you have a dream and your older brothers who already hate you bow down to you and you run out in your coat of many colors and you're like, what's up, Kev? Guess what dream I just had? Everybody's like, poor Joseph. He kind of brought it on himself. He had to be humbled. And he had to be taught. The thing that he learned in Potiphar's house was he was a servant. He was the lowest on the totem pole, but he learned how to manage systems. He learned how to manage resources. He learned how to manage people. He learned how to manage an estate. Potiphar's estate would have been massive. He learned the ways of Egypt. He learned the culture. He learned everything that he needed to learn so that when, when, when Pharaoh did promote him, he was prepared for that position. See, our hearts are always focused on the position, and, and God's more like, I'm going to prepare you so you don't blow it when you get there. That's why there's like 17-year-olds, like, I just want to get married. Don't. <laughs> well, that first marriage might become a trial run. Don't. Don't. You look back, you see it. There was a purpose in each season conforming him 
preparing him, aligning his heart, giving him love and compassion to the point that there was nothing but forgiveness. It's almost like Joseph didn't even have to forgive his brothers because he didn't even see it as them wronging him. He saw it as the plan of God. That was how much, in 13 years, that was, that's the encouraging part of this. Like 13 years seems like a long time, but it's really not, right? In 13 years, he was transformed into someone who could run a nation, have genuine forgiveness, no bitterness, a man of character. And he saw it for what it was. But in each season, we can still miss the purpose. And I want to I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read this fast. This is in Luke 7, 24. I'm going to give you a, a, us a warning. Because if we don't have the promises of God and we don't know the who, then all we'll be focused on is the why and the what. And when we're focused on the why and the what, there is a massive risk of missing the purposes of God in that season for our lives. I want to read this to you really quickly in Luke 7, 24. Uh, this setting right here, John the Baptist uh, was the one who laid the groundwork uh, for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to come. And John had been arrested, and he was in prison at this moment. And John had just a moment of doubt, and he sent his, uh, some of his followers to Jesus to just get some confirmation. And Jesus' mercy and goodness, he gave it to John. And after the messengers of John left, then Jesus confirmed something about John that was significant. It was actually Crazy significant. This is Luke 7, 24. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So what Jesus was saying here in this moment, and there was only twice that he did this, and only once in this significant public of a setting, what Jesus just did, Jesus confirmed to the crowd that was there in that moment that John the Baptist was indeed the prophet that God uh, laid out in the Old Testament would come to prepare the way for Christ. He was also therefore acknowledging and declaring that he himself was the Messiah. And so this is, this is significant in a lot of levels. But the thing that I want you to see about this is that Jesus is acknowledging this and saying this and declaring this, but then he, he's speaking to something else right below it. I want you to pay attention uh, to the language that Jesus uses. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. Not just the plan of God, not just the purpose of God, but the way of God, the way God was working out his plan. A significant portion of people truly do know God's resolved big picture plan. Like everybody in this, uh, in the Pharisees, the experts of the law, the tax collectors, everybody in Israel, every, everybody knew that there would be a prophet coming and there would be a Messiah coming. Everybody knew the resolved plan of God, that the Messiah was coming to save the world. Everyone did. But what Jesus is, is acknowledging here is not the resolved plan of God that everybody knew. What he's talking about here is the way that God worked out his plan. 
He, he, not just the purpose, but the way God was working out his plan. And it says that they, they said God's way was right. The way he's working out his plan is right and it's good because they had been baptized by John. But listen to this. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So Jesus is now saying that the Pharisees, though they knew the resolved plan of God, they were rejecting the way of God and the way that God was working out his plan, and therefore they were rejecting the purpose of God for themselves. God's purposes will always be achieved. Uh, Job says nothing can thwart them. God's plan, it was done before he created the world. It was already complete, but it is possible for you to miss the purpose of God by rejecting the purpose of God in a season of your life. Life because not because you don't know the plan of God or you're not accepting God's ultimate plan or ultimate will, but because you don't recognize or you outright reject the way that God is working out his purpose in your life. And Jesus goes on to tell you exactly why they rejected the purpose of God. He says, to what can I compare this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. I know that makes sense to nobody. And I'll, maybe I'll do an in-depth teaching on this one day. But what Jesus is ultimately saying here, he's saying the, the pipe, playing the pipe was like a happy wedding dance, like a like good news, everything's happy, everything's good. It's like going out with your friends on Friday night and chilling out. It's like happy, sociable, good. The dirge is like a funeral and it's mourning. And his point is, he said that, that in, the, in, in the happiness, you rejected it, and in the morning, you rejected it. And then he gets details. He tells you exactly what he means by this in Luke 7, 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating uh, bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. So John the Baptist, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't the most normal chap on the corner. John lived out in the desert for 20 years. He did not socialize. He, came, he ate grasshoppers, and he dressed in camel hair stuff. And, and he smelled bad, and he probably looked funny, and he, he just stayed out in the desert. And, and when he started to preach this message, and, and John's message was the one, the dirge, in the, in the little parable thing he gave before this, the morning, he gave one of repentance. Everybody is horribly evil, wicked sinners. God is the only one who is good. You need to repent of your sins. And if you repent of your sins before God, he will save you and he will forgive you of your sins. This was the morning part of, of John's message. And, and the Pharisees, Jesus is saying, now the Pharisees and the experts in the law, they looked at John and they said, he doesn't socialize. He doesn't look like what we think a prophet should look like. He doesn't act like what we think a prophet should act like. His message doesn't fit with what we think it should be. So they rejected John and they said he has a demon because John didn't look like, act like, or, or, or dress like, or talk like they thought that he should talk like. They did not know, and Jesus said this about the Pharisees a hundred times, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Said this about the Pharisees that they what? They did not know God. If you knew God, you would know me. If you knew the Father, you would know me. They did not know the who. And because they did not know the who and they did not know the true promises of God, all they had left was the why and the what. And when you don't have the promises of God, you get filled up with your personal expectations and your personal desires of how you think God should work out his plan. And then when God goes to work out his plan different than the way your little brain came up with it is, you call it a demon and you reject it completely and therefore reject the purpose of God in that season of your life. 
He goes on to say, and now if it was just about John, if it was just John and it was just the camel hair and it was just the weirdness and it was just this, this guy way out in the desert and you said he had a demon, he said, but then I came. Jesus talking about himself. He said, the son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all our children. So he said, okay, move the message of repentance, the, the mourning message, the kingdom uh, is at hand message, and the, the camel hair, and the grasshoppers, and all this stuff with John, put that to the side. I came, and my message was one of blessing. The first message Jesus ever preached amount on the sermon. This is, blessed is this, blessed is this, blessed is this. I said that I came to give life, and not just life, but life to the fullest, life, an abundant life. I came talking about the love of God. I came talking about the grace of God. I came ready to die for your sins. I came with a message of hope and a message of life. And I was eating and drinking. I know all the Baptists struggle with that scripture a lot. But he said, I was socializing. I was hanging out. I wasn't in the desert. But then you looked at my life and I was socializing with the wrong people. And so you called me a glutton and you called me a drunkard and you, you, you just said I hung out with tax collectors and sinners and you rejected me. Again, they didn't know who. They didn't know God and they didn't know the promises of God. And so all they had was the why, uh, the why and the what. All they had was uh, their, their own heart and their own mind was filled up with the way they think life should go. And this is what it will look like. And this is how God should do it. And this is what God wants to do. And, this is, and then when God operates differently, they reject it. And in the process, they reject the purpose of God for themselves. And so this is the, the heart of the warning here is that, that Jesus is, 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 is an undertone of saying, if you don't know the Father and you don't know the Word and you don't know the truth and you don't know the promises of God, then as you go through life, all you're going to have is whatever it is your brain comes up with. And I know not everybody in here is clinically crazy, but we're all pretty close. All you'll have is, is what you, you, the life that you design for yourself. This is what good is, and this is what success is, and this is what God ought to do for me, and if I do this, this is what will happen, and this will be in this season, this is what God's trying to do here. And life is gonna be filled with frustration, it's gonna be filled with disappointment, it's gonna be filled with significant struggle. You're gonna lack peace, you're gonna lack joy. And when you find yourselves in the pit, you're not gonna be sustained because there's nothing to sustain you. And when you find yourself in Potiphar's house, you're not gonna have energy and, and belief and trust and faith. You're just gonna fold and you're gonna scream victim and you're gonna cry and you're gonna whine and you're gonna just be confused and you're just gonna go forward because you had your plan worked out and life didn't go that way. Joseph, Joseph knew who God was and he knew the promises of God. And this is something, this is the, the challenge here is that in a very spiritual way, but also a very practical way, the tension in life, the tension in life for us, for followers of Christ, is we have to constantly surrender our own personal expectations under the power of the promises of God. And we have to, have to, in each season, we have to lay down our own desire, lay down our own expectation, and, and lean on and depend on God 
God's character, the character of Christ, his attributes, his faithfulness, his goodness. Because so many things in life, there's not going to have a why behind it. And there'll be days, and, and thank God for them, there'll be days when you get and you look back and you see it. But for 13 years, Joseph had to sustain on the promises of God and be energized by the promises of God. If you quit worrying about your own expectations and you just fell in love with God and you allow God to shape your perspective, you know, this is what Romans 12, the, the, the long-term power of this is Romans 12 says, if you just surrender these things and let your mind be renewed and let yourself be transformed, you'll begin to be able to discern the will of God. But if you know who the who is, and you know his goodness, and you know his power, and you, you know his love, and you know that there is always a purpose, even if I don't know it, that's what gets me up out of bed on the days that I don't want to. And that's what gets me driving energetic when things look like they're falling apart. And I'm telling you, there's a beauty in this, and there's a power in this. And so we have to know the promises of God, and we have to be willing and ready to lay down our own desires and our own personal expectations to the glory and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm excited about this series. It's going to be good for us.